All right, it's good to be in God's house. Hope you have your Bible with you. If you do, turn with me in your Bible, if you would please, to the book of Mark. We are preaching through the book of Mark, and uh, we have arrived at chapter number 14 in your Bible in the book of Mark. I'd like to talk to you just a little bit today about... Last week I talked about seizing the moment. I don't know if you remember that or not, about seizing the moment. Mary, the lady with the alabaster box, very precious, seized the moment and anointed our Lord with that very expensive gift, 300 pence. Some commentators say that it was entire year's wages, and she poured it on our Lord. Now, during that time, if you look at chapter 14 and verse 4 as a way of introduction, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was the waste of this ointment made? Now, if you turn to John chapter number 12 and verse 4, you'll find out who had indignation, who got mad, who got tight-jawed, if you please, because this lady had poured this very precious, expensive gift, and these had indignation, angry, didn't understand. Verse 4 of John 12, then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. And then Jesus said, as Jen said, Jesus, leave her alone. Jesus rebukes Judas for his selfishness, for his lack of spirituality, for his wanting them to give the price of that ointment to put in the treasure of the church so that he could misuse it and steal it. He was a thief. The first church treasure was a thief. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't write it. I just read it. The first church treasure chosen by Jesus himself was said to be a thief. And he does not like the idea that anyone would waste such an expensive gift on Jesus. Does that tell you anything? Have you ever heard of a mama 
naming her boy Judas. It's not probably the most popular and wanted name to name a child. Does it really matter or what you call children? Texas governor around the 20th century, the first native born Texan to ever be the governor of Texas. You probably know his name. His name was James Hogg. He and his wife didn't really think too much about it when their daughter was born. And they were trying to, um, trying to uh, just uh, give some honor to his brother for writing a Civil War poem. And so when their first daughter discovered America, July 10, 1882, they called her Ima. True story. The minute the grandfather heard, who lived in Mineola, Texas, and in those days, news didn't travel so fast. They didn't have Twitter and all of that. He rushed immediately to the family and said, you cannot do this. Well, it was too late because they had already christened Ima. So she said, I've been stuck with that name all my life. I'm a hog. Fortunately, she made something of her life in spite of her name. She founded a symphony orchestra served on the Board of Education and championed music in the Texas schools throughout. She served in Washington, D.C. in the Department of Education, and regardless of her name, she made something of herself. But if I were you parents, I'd be real careful what I named our children, because that could be a difficult situation. Mark chapter 14, verse 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. 
and the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples. wonder why two. Because two men were required to bring the Passover lamb to the temple to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent two men. Kind of significant, isn't it? Since it's the Passover and he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. On the day of Passover, Jesus is to be the Passover. And he sent forth two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and there shall you meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now read your Bible from cover to cover and see if ever there's another place where a Jewish man is carrying water. That's women's work. But it would be significant of two disciples going to a town to try to find a room for the Savior. Isn't God good? He always takes care of us. And whithersoever he shall go, Say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest room where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. The Lord had already made previous arrangements. He'd already secured the room. Now the room is completely furnished with everything that the Jewish community would need to partake of the Passover. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. Now you do know that a Jewish day starts at six o'clock in the evening, not in the morning. So now it's evening. But really, it's six o'clock in the afternoon of the Passover day. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? Strange. You'd think they would have known whether it was them or not unless they really knew them. 
I would never do that, Peter said. So the Bible said, is it I, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, it is one of the twelve, kind of narrowed it down a little, that dippeth with me in the dish. I wonder if they double dipped. I just never had thought of that. Maybe I would have. I'd thought about it before I got in the pulpit, but I think I would say, I just want one serving, please. And the Son of Man indeed goeth, that is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been We're just going kind of verse by verse, thought by thought, precept upon precept through the book of Mark. And I didn't think it behooved us to skip this particular thought. I'd like to talk to you today about just one word, betrayed. Verse 43 and 46 of the chapter, if you'll look, please, let me show you. And immediately, while he spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss... That same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he'd come, he'd go straight way to him and said, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. I know you've heard the phrase that Judas kiss, a sign of friendship, a symbol of love and admiration. Betrayed by a friend. By the way, that's the only person that can betray you. Enemies don't betray you. Betrayed by a friend, he became the victim of a friend. That's a terrible thing, to become a victim because of friend. Think of it just a minute. Only a friend can betray you, but and only someone you trust. And here is the one whom Jesus trusts. As you read through your Bible in the book of John, the book of Luke, the book of Mark, and the book of uh, Matthew, you'll find in one place, in trying to find out which one would be the betrayer, 
Peter asked John, the one who laid on Jesus' breast, the one who sat on his left-hand side, since you're so close to him, would you please ask him who it is, which one of us is going to be the dirty rat that betrays our Lord? And if you read it, it's in the book of John. You'll read that whomever was sitting on Jesus' right hand, immediately at his right side, so close that Jesus could say, whatever you're going to do, do it now. And no one else in the room could hear it. The betrayer is the one who sat at the immediate right hand of Jesus. John the Beloved sat on the left and leaned on his breast, but Judas was so close that Jesus took the sop and handed it to him and then turned and said, The time is now. You go do what you're going to do. A right hand, close, intimate friend. A betraying friend. You know, like a spouse who leaves a letter with no signature and says, I've left with someone else. A friend. A child who unknowingly to the parents have now become addicted to drugs and suddenly there's things disappearing around the house. And one day the police calls and says, Are you so-and-so? And a close, intimate individual had become the betrayer. Uh, do, do you know anything? about betrayal. You know, the ex stops by to pick up the kids without telling you they're bringing their new cohort in crime. I, I didn't know this would be such a down kind of sermon. You know, I'm talking about, perhaps you know the feeling, a pink slip just a few weeks before you retire. No buyout program. We just don't need you anymore. Laid off. A friend. I just thought I'd drop by today and talk to you about this guy called Judas. By the way, if it's all right, would you say amen? Because maybe I need to be talking about somebody else. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe you know somewhat about betrayal because, you see, betrayal is more than rejection which opens the wound. Betrayal is pouring the salt in. 
Betrayal is more than loneliness, which leaves you in the cold. Uh, betrayal closes the door. You know, betrayal is so much more than mockery that jabs with a knife. Uh, betrayal is the one who twists the knife as they put it in. I don't know, maybe somebody here has experienced that kind of feeling. Betrayal is more than insult which attacks your pride. Betrayal breaks your heart. Just kind of like you to know how maybe Jesus felt that day when Judas did what he did. Did you know that where there is an opportunity to love, there is an opportunity for hurt? Some folks have been hurt and betrayed so much, they are afraid now to love. They will not open themselves up to hurt anymore. They've been hurt and betrayed enough. No wonder a lot of folks in America do not want to try marriage again because of the betrayal that took place in the first one. Today we seem like that adultery and fornication is just, a, just another thing. No wonder our kids are not marrying anymore but just moving in with one another because of the lack of honesty and character. Amen. Amen. Somebody said, I ain't getting what I want. Maybe you need to change your wanter. Amen. They're not fulfilling my need. Well, quit looking at that stinking trash and quit talking about your need. Amen. Let me tell you something. Pornography comes in all kinds and shapes and forms. The word fornication in your Bible is porno or pornography. I'm going to take just a little liberty here. You say it's Sunday morning. Shut your mouth. It's a bad day when we got to pass around sex books in our church. It's a bad day. And it's a bad idea. You need to bring the books to me and we'll put them in the bookstore at our Christian church. And if they won't work in our church, you need to get them out of your house. And whoever is promoting that kind of stuff is not a friend. You say, well, I don't know what to do. How in the world did Adam and Eve make it? How in the world did Adam and Eve ever procreate without the modern Christian lady telling Eve how to turn the knob on her husband? You say, this is Sunday morning. I am not that stupid that I do not know that. I'd like to read some of those books myself. If I felt like there wasn't some pornography involved. 
That is not in my notes. Your offering did not cover that. That was free. Don't you forget, somehow or another, it'll always get back to my office. I got better spies than Obama. <laughs> Undercover agents. Judases. Now let's get on with it, all right. Judas. How much do you know about Judas? Think about this. His daddy's name was Simon. He was reared in southern Judea. He was chosen by Jesus after an all-night prayer meeting. Luke chapter 6. Think of that if you would please. Chosen by the omnipotent, all-knowing, all-seeing God after an all-night prayer meeting. Luke 6. Luke chapter number 12, he's chosen to be the treasurer of the first church. You say, was it a Baptist church? I said the first church. And since they were all baptized by John, the chosen to be treasurer of the first church, Luke 12, sent out with the 70 with miracle working powers, and when they came back, they rejoiced with joy that even the demons were subject unto them. Judas was one of them. Chosen by God after prayer, Luke 6. Chosen to be the treasure of the first church, and Luke 12. And sent out with miracle working powers. We're talking about Judas now. Sent out with miracle working powers. Matthew 10, verses 1 and 4. Frequently throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's referred to over and over again as the traitor. Almost every time his name is, meant, is mentioned, the one who betrayed, the one who betrayed, the traitor. He's always mentioned last when all the disciples are mentioned. What do you know about Judas? He was a traitor, the Bible says, from the beginning. This was not something they did off the top of his head. It was not something that just happened to be. It is not something he got mad because Jesus rebuked him for the alabaster box. He was a traitor from the beginning and walked among them and sat among them and sang the same songs, heard the same preaching, witnessed the same miracles. For three and a half years, he did not leave Jesus' presence. And everything Jesus did, and everything that Jesus said, 
and every lesson that Jesus taught, Judas not only heard it, felt it, now listen, and embraced it. You see, Judas wasn't walking around like a raven wolf. He mingled. He was one of the crowd. In fact, the Bible said he's one of the twelve. He's the one that betrayed Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. You wouldn't know him. If he is sitting right by you. But finally comes to the conclusion this Jesus thing ain't working. Now try, listen to me a minute. She's anointing him for his burial. We followed this Jesus guy. And he's supposed to be the Messiah. And my idea of a Messiah and his idea of a Messiah is not the same. His is one dying on a cross. Mine is coming into town on a white horse delivering us from the bondage of Rome. This Jesus thing is not working. I've left everything for this Jesus thing and it's not working. So I might as well get what I can out of this deal. I think I'll go see the high priest and sell him. At least I'll make something out of this. Why are you here? Are you here because of him or because of you? See, I just believe this Jesus thing is going to work. Now, it may be ups and downs, but thank God I got somebody to go with me in the downs and the ups. Can you? He will never leave me off enough to save me. And so I just, how much do you know about this Jesus guy? And how much do you know about this Judas? I've studied it for some time. It's 12 o'clock straight up and down. And that's the introduction. That's building it up so we can go home. But I got to give you the points. I may not, I may not, I may not, in, in, I may not enlighten on them. But there's a lesson here for us. Now there is a tremendous lesson for us, and the first lesson for us is that none of us are beyond betraying Jesus. None of us. Listen to me. None of us. Notice how the disciples responded. When Jesus said, as they ate, one of you are going to betray me. Notice what they begin to say. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Oh, 
you say, preacher, you aren't worried about me. Man, I'm, I'm in till thick gets thin. Preacher, you just, I think Jesus can count on me. Paul said, the good that I would do, I do not. That which I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that I do. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 13 through 19 or 20, O wretched man that I am. Because that which I would like to be able to do, I do not find the power in me to do it. And that which I do not want to do, suddenly I find myself doing it. Now, which of you do not have the same problem? We need to learn the lesson that none of us are beyond becoming the next Jesus betrayer. Even the one leaning on Jesus' breast, you know, the one that was real close to him. He said, if I say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we say we have no sin... We make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. Preacher, I would, I would never, never, never betray our Lord. I would never let him down. No, I would not. I want you to know before we go now, that's the very thing Peter said. Lord, listen, Lord, I will die for thee. And Jesus says, Peter, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. Is there anybody here? Three times you will, Peter. Not me. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir, buddy. I'm in for the long run. I'm in for the whole road. You need to listen to Peter because there's not one of us in this place made out of anything but flesh. And the flesh is weak. And as Peter followed our Lord into the into the palace, a little lady is at the door. And when Peter walks in, the little lady says to him, What knew one of his disciples? And Peter said, I am not. Standing by the devil's campfire with all the enemy, somebody says, Hey, I I thought maybe you might have been one of those Galileans. And Peter said, I am not. As Peter stood by, Malchus, one of his kinfolk, you know the guy that Peter cut his ear off? 
one of Malchus' kinfolk, said to Peter, I saw you in the garden with Jesus. And Peter began to cuss, curse, and deny our Lord the third time. You say, well, I'm not a Peter. You got that right. But that same guy preached 50 days later, and 3,000 folk got saved. Just leave you a little little thought. You leave here today, you're probably not walking around in holy britches. You just got plain old britches on. And all of us probably put them on the same way. And we are very capable of being the next Judas who denies our Can I please leave this with you? Church attendance does not guarantee salvation. The Bible said that he was one of the twelve. He didn't miss a service. He dressed like Christians dressed in those days. Witnessed all that Jesus did. Then when he came back rejoicing about the demons being subject to him, do you remember what the Lord said? He came back rejoicing that he had cast out devils and that the demons of the underworld were subject to him. And he came back to our Lord and said, Jesus, even the devils are subject to us. And in Luke 10, verse 20, notwithstanding in this rejoice, not that the devils are subject unto thee, listen, but that thy name is written in heaven. You know it's possible to be a church member? Have your name on a roll, but not in the book of life? You say, well, I know some Christians that don't live right. Me too. Peter was one of them. Amen. I know some Christians. You need to get your eyes off of Christians and get them on the Lord. You see, church attendance does not guarantee being saved. And then I, three, all of us, just like Judas, have a choice. No one is going to choose for me where I spend eternity. No one's going to choose for me what I do, where I go, what I read, what I don't do. You see, because I think Judas made a choice. And number one, it was a deliberate financial choice. It was about money. If you don't believe me, you can just look at Mark, and you can look at John, and you can look at Matthew, and you look at all those places, and the book of Mark says very plainly about money 
Can you say something about money? Yeah, one of them said, one of them said, and then Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priest, Matthew 26, verse 15, and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted with him for 30 pieces of silver. I wonder, in closing, how many of Jesus' friends today denied him when the offering plate was passed. Church don't need it. Look how it's going. Look how big it is. And look at the kind of shoes the preacher wears. It ain't about what kind of shoes I wear. It's not about how big we're growing. It's not about one thing except are you honest? And did your character surface when the offering plate was passed by. You say, this Sunday morning, y'all be preaching this Sunday night, you won't be here. You'll be watching the ball game. It's an amazing thing to me that Christians who move churches don't tithe in between churches. Evangelists who are not under the authority of a church preach on tithing but don't do it. You see, Judas's choice was strictly a financial choice. Well, preacher, I, I, I just can't see the, the prophet in tithing I tell you what, it's not about tithing. It's about love and loyalty, either to Jesus or the dollar bill. Secondly, this choice was a diabolical felony kind of choice. The Bible said in John chapter 12 that the devil, Satan, entered into Judas. The devil entered into Judas. Get that now. The devil entered into Judas. That cannot happen to a saved person. So this choice to deny Jesus was a felonious, diabolical, demon Satanic choice. Amen. Lastly, it was a disastrous and final choice. He didn't get to make another one. It was just a few chapters later, Matthew 27. And the Bible said that Judas came and brought the money back to the high priest and to the political leaders and said, I don't want it. I've, de I've denied. I've, I've betrayed innocent blood. You know what they said? That's your horse. You ride it. You know what the devil will tell you? 
And you get so backslidden away from God that you're no longer tithing, you're no longer coming to church, you're no longer going soul winning, you no longer have a daily devotion, you're no longer reading your Bible and praying, and when your home hits the bottom, you begin to shout and say, I don't know what's happening. The devil say, now that's your horse, you ride it. When you get that note from your wife, who wanted a godly Christian husband, and a godly Christian daddy for the kids. And she finally has got enough. You find no furniture in your house when you go home after work. And the devil will laugh and say, now that's your horse. You ride it. He said, man, that's cold. It's just the truth. A final. I don't know if you know this or not. But the Bible said that Judas died and went to his place. Did you know that Jesus in John 17 called called Judas the son of perdition? Do you know what you need? You need to go to the book of 2 Thessalonians sometime. And find out who Paul said was the son of perdition. Paul said it was the Antichrist. Just how much do you know about Judas? How much do you know about Judas' daddy? Who knows? That decision you made today? Maybe the last one you get to make. Aren't you glad you can still be saved? Aren't you glad the door's still open? Aren't you glad that Christ still loves us? You know who chose Judas? Christ. You know who loved Judas? Christ. You know who gave Judas a choice? Christ. Aren't you glad that he loves us even when we don't love him? And he gives us a choice, even when we don't give him one. Well, he says today, all you that labor and heavy laden, if you'll come, I'll give you rest. He'll save you, he'll forgive you, and he will love you and be with you till the end. Our Father, today we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for our dear God loving us so, so very, very much. And, Lord, thank you for putting in the book an individual by the name of Judah.